Richard Branson, um, from over the way over in the UK. You guys know Richard Branson? We've got Virgin Airlines here, haven't we? What well, we used to have. Uh, I know it's in a bit of a transition at the moment. Richard Branson, uh, you know, a daredevil, an adventurer, entrepreneur, did an amazing thing back in 87, 1987. He flew across the Atlantic Ocean, 5,000 kilometers in an air balloon. And it was a mammoth feat. He got up to speeds of 200K, okay? Flew as high as 27,000 feet. And in just 31 hours, 31 hours and 41 minutes, managed to cross the pond. It was an amazing feat. And it would have been ill-fated had he not been the genius that he is and had he not had the resources that he had and the support that he had, the wealth, the ingenuity. It was a combination, you see, of all those elements that ensured he was a success, that he wasn't ill-fated. And so I tell you that because I want to I want us to focus on God and Jesus Christ. And remember, whenever we're talking about God, Jesus is his representative to us. And when we think of God, remember what Jesus said? He goes, when you look at me, who do we see? We see God. And that's how we remember Jesus. He is God, God's son presented to us. Hey, when did I start, Nikki? I am going to come up, watch on here. Let's have a look. There we go, 10.30, roughly. I want to show you, and I'm sure you've seen this. In the book of Ruth, we've seen these little pictures of multiple episodes, okay? But what's really taking place is God sewing a patchwork, doing something phenomenal, bringing about the threads, ultimately to point to one final and climatic episode. All those decisions, all those scenarios, all those circumstances, all working to... I mean, I mean throw this out. and I won't embarrass you. It depends who it is. Okay, uh, uh, <laughs> Graham. Uh, you know, what do all those threads point to? What is the climax of Ruth? Where is it really going? What is the big macro picture? Thank you. From David to Christ, and ultimately from Christ to, what do we have here? Living Word Bible Church. That's the trajectory of it all. All those threads are working towards that. And so here's our heading today. Just the one heading. Divine endeavors, God endeavors, because of God's sovereignty, that means he can't be thwarted, inevitably succeed. I want us to take that away. This is what Ruth tells us, that God cannot fail. He cannot be thwarted. He cannot be beaten. His will, and this is the wonder of it, his will always, always prevails. His endeavors always prosper. And when you look at the book of Ruth, if we understand the macro, the big picture, we see that it gets there. Oh, there's twists and turns and perplexities on the way, and I'm going to show you some of those. But it gets there. I mean, look at the project that Pippa's been involved with, this group of amateur actors. I mean, you've had challenges and difficulties, but we got there. It was fabulous. Really, Pippa, that was beautiful. 
and it's going on live, so you can watch it over and over again. You can watch yourself on video and see, you know, be famous. <laughs> okay, it got there. God's purposes get there, and His chief purpose, and we see it here in Ruth chapter four. Here's a subheading: God's good purposes for the world. Ruth four. This then is a family line of Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Abinadab. Abinadab. Abinadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. And that's the big picture because those words, those names, point to are, are, are the, the, the beginnings of David, Christ, and salvation to the world. Can you see that? You may think it's just a genealogy. What's the big deal? No. There's the portal. That's where it's going. To Jesus, to the worldwide church, to you. And so Matthew elaborates it for us. He gives us a more complex genealogy. I'll read samples of it for you. Jesus Christ, the son of David. This is how we get there. He's the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac of Jacob. Jacob of Judah and his brothers. Salmon, verse 5, of Boaz, and who was the mother of Rahab. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, unto verse 6. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had had and we verse, on verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, through J, uh, Joseph's line, to whom was born Jesus, who is called the Christ. Hey, you are, I'm going to see this at the end, a part of a mammoth endeavor. Seriously, you don't look like much. Nah, you look okay. <laughs> you do. But you're a part of a mammoth thing. Look, I'm getting to my conclusion before I got there. So let me get there with you. Okay, the central theme of Ruth is this genealogy. It was working towards this genealogy. That's what it's all about. And it's about God's purposes for the world. Let me show you some of them. Look, this is providence. We said this book is about providence. Okay, here's a tough one. What is providence? Someone explain providence. You know, there's various ways to do it. Someone have a go. You know, you're bound to be right because it's such a diverse thing. God's plan. God's plan. Anything else? It is God's plan. Anything else? Providence. It looks like good luck. Yeah, it can look like good luck. It can look like chance. It's God's plan through human endeavours and world events being threaded together to perform what he intends. And so let me show you some of those strands, strands in Ruth. Look, in Elimelech's migration, although he perhaps shouldn't have gone, okay? In Elimelech's migration, God was ensuring that the family were in the setting to discover Ruth. You see, here's the thing. Ruth was absolutely intrinsic to this plan. It's not as though God could have just chosen anybody, Matilda. No, it was Ruth, her DNA, her line. It had to be Ruth. And so Elimelech's migration ensured the family were positioned in Moab. In Marlon's marriage to Ruth, that should not have happened. She's a Moabite. 
It should not have happened. But even in that, God's providence ensured that that girl was introduced to this family. God can work through even the no-nos of this life to bring about his purpose. That doesn't justify the no-nos. But he can take a hold of no-nos and bring something good out of them. In Marlon's and Ruth's childless marriage, in desperation, that's a horrible scenario. And we're not saying that God made that happen. What we're saying is that God used that. That childlessness ensured that Boaz was necessary in the equation. It ensured that there was a kinsman redeemer, which was necessary because this is a picture of Jesus, our kinsman. Can you see? He took dark providences and interwove them into his purposes. Here's an even darker one that God used. Very relevant to us just now. The deaths of Elimelech, Marlon and Kilion. Which brought great grief, didn't it, to Naomi? God used that. God took a hold of that and, and, and utilised that because through that he providentially ensured that Naomi now returned. Otherwise I may never have come back. He used that dark scenario to redirect Naomi, along with Ruth now, back to the homeland. Here's the thing, another thing, more positively, in Ruth's gleaning, which because of their poverty she went gleaning, and she happened to land in the field of? Boaz, good luck! Chance? No! God's providential hand. He's been shifting this girl across time and space to meet that guy. Right? Okay, not by chance, no. God ensured it was Boaz's field. Okay, in Boaz's compassion towards Ruth. This is a Moabitess. They're the detestable nation. You don't have anything to do with them. And yet we see that Boaz was compassionate towards her. He, he, he was filled with love towards her. He fell in love with this young lady. When Boaz's acceptance of Ruth's marriage proposal, she was effectively proposing to him when she lay at his feet. Boaz should have shunned her. And yet he was compassionate Gracious, spoke well of her, focused on her positive characteristics instead of the negatives. You know, we always do that, don't we? We focus on all the negatives. You know, he focused on something positive about Ruth and accepted her proposal. Here's an amazing providence the kinsman redeemer who was first in line. Where was God's providence in that? The kinsman's redeemer who should have married Ruth. Where was God's providence in that? Someone help me out. Yeah, he was too tied up in his own affairs. Too tied up within his busyness. Now, now, Boaz could not have generated that situation. God providentially ensured this man was too self-absorbed. Well, here's the thing, that's a better way. That God utilised the man's self-absorption to bring about his purpose. In Boaz's marriage to Ruth, look, I need to blow my nose, excuse me. 
This is, this is where you edit the video, okay? <laughs> Give me a second. In Boaz's marriage to Ruth, he brought about an offspring. There's amazing providence there because what was probably Ruth's condition? She was probably barren. Most probably barren. God ensured that a child is born who is key to this situation. And finally, in God's providence, that child eventually became the grandfather of King David, who eventually became the forefather of Joseph, who became the father of Jesus, through whom the world was brought to salvation. John 3, verse 16 for God so loved the world. And this is what's going on here. Whatever you think of God, okay, don't ever forget this quintessential attribute of his. Okay, He has many attributes. Holiness is one of his attributes, without doubt. But don't ever forget this quintessential one. For God so loved the world. Let me ask, let me stop there. What precipitated the book of Ruth and this genealogy and God going after Ruth? What precipitated that? What led to what, what was the catalyst of God that led to him saving the world and you? It's in there. Love. The love of God for you. you. Do you know that? You know when Jesus says the world does not know you? One of his points was that the world that shakes his fist at God accuses him of all kinds of stuff doesn't know that. Okay? For God so loved the world. It's what's behind it. It's what's behind your existence. It's why you're here today. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. The whole book of Ruth has been pushing on and moving towards this trajectory of the salvation of the human race. Salmon, the second of those verses there, Nikki. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. And all these pieces... And all these pieces, like a gigantic, complex jigsaw, through human decisions and situations and scenarios, was brought together by God. You guys have are crop circles popular here? You get them? You're not responsible for them, Pam? No, no good. Okay, crop circles, common in the UK. So look, if you're down at ground level, where those guys are, it's perplexing. Someone's destroyed your harvest, okay? You're not very happy, right? You know, just looks like someone just trampled down, you know, half of your crops for that year, okay? They don't make a lot of sense. But fly over them, look at that. 
See the one on the bottom right and top left? Someone has done that. They're not aliens, right? Okay? Not unless you were a foreign citizen who happened to do them, then you're regarded as an alien. Okay? They're, not, they're done by people. Okay? Look how beautiful they are. Immense geometry, complex designs. Okay? Down on ground level, that make little or no sense. But from the perspective of their from bird's eye view, they are brilliant works of imagination and design and art and ingenuity. When you look at the world, just look at it, just think of the world, coronavirus. And I know that's the biggest headline, and I don't want to under, undermine the impact that's had on many, many people. But look at poverty. Mental illness, war, famine, murder. I mean, who can make any sense of all that? Where is God? I mean, what is he doing? What kind of project is he working on? Okay, at ground level? When you just lost someone you really care about or you're... Your, your employers are horrible to you or, or your home life is terrible or, or you're, making, you're struggling to make ends meet or your church isn't growing as fast as you would like. We can't make much sense of it, can we? But from God's perspective, those crop circles of our, of our world are making complex and beautiful picture like that. That's where it's going. And one day, we said yesterday, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And the people modified and regenerated and transformed that will finally exist in a manner that feels on the ground tangibly beautiful and purposeful and something that will last forever. So divine endeavours, because of God's sovereignty, inevitably succeed. Thank you. You did a great job, Nikki, at keeping up with me. Thank you. Divine endeavours, because of God's sovereignty, inevitably succeed. God's purposes prevail. So that's the big picture. It's what God is doing in the world. And we're just a tiny little part of that. But I want, what I want to do in my conclusion, this is the conclusion of the book of Ruth. Hey, God is great. Hey, look, I really ever do something like this, but I want to do it now. Would you say that after me? God is great. Don't you ever forget that. He is great and he is good. He is good all the time. Okay, that is a big macro picture of the book of Ruth. But I, I want to finish with, in the next few moments, I want to zoom back in into one little detail of the book of Ruth, or where he points to, rather. And that is to the detail of your life. It pictures your life in many, many ways. And I want to look at friends with you. And here's the second subheading that Nikki will pull up for us now. We've looked at God's purposes for the world. There it is. 
I want to show you God's good purposes for you. Because at the end of the day, I want to know. Okay, that's what God's doing on the big scale. That's fantastic. But what's he doing with me? What's he doing with you? And you? Hey, welcome back, Maxie. Lovely to have you back. Uh, We missed you and we've been praying for you. And it's great to see you're getting well. What's God doing with you? And with all the other little people here, not just, you know, little in every way. We're all little, aren't we? Christian, God is sovereignly working in your life. In your life. For, for a moment, forget everybody else. Okay? God is sovereignly working in your life. He's working every thread, every decision, every episode, every encounter. He's intertwining into this incredible, complex fabric that's a part of a mosaic in your life. He takes the great things. Think of those great things in your life. Those big episodes. When you were born is one of them. <laughs> it all started. There's where you all, all began to go wrong, isn't it? I sometimes think. But that's where it all started, okay? The great things, the small things. Think of some of those failures. If you're anything like me, they're littered with them. All those failures are a part of the picture of what God is doing with you personally. Here's the thing about God. Let me, let me just stop one second where I'm in the sermon. God can give as much attention and time and energy and effort into the macro as he can into Eulerae. Okay? He can give as much interest into that big picture as he does to you. You know, you know Matt Redman, we sing some of his songs. I'm always listening to Matt Redman, just an amazing Christian artist. And someone once, I read one of his books on worship once, and someone says about him, the wonderful thing about Matt is, is that whether he's on the big stage and he's singing to thousands of people like he does sometimes, or he's witnessing him in a shopping mall or somewhere singing to a couple of people, or whether he's in a mall singing to two people, Matt is equally as devoted, enthusiastic, passionate, connected. The same level. That is a picture of God. He's as enthusiastic, as keen, about just little old you, or little young you, or whatever age you, you are, as he is about the macro project. So he's bringing the successes and the failures, the perplexing. How many perplexing situations are we in? Do we go through that I'm facing today? He's in the, the perplexing situations as well as the less perplexing ones. He's, in, he's using the pain and the suffering. The ill health, the loss. He's using the pain and the suffering to interwine it into this complex mosaic that he's working through. He's taken all these threads. The Bible says so, and I'm going to prove it to you just now. He's taken all these threads 
and beautifully weaved. And Tiffany's taken one of her dolls, I think, that we gave her when she was born. It's got some hair. And she's been weaving all these colours into it. And it's growing. It reminded me of what we're looking at together. All these colours come together. Let me tell you, here's something that comes to mind. You ever watch TV? Have you ever got really close to a TV? Really, really close to a TV? All you can see is a tiny, weeny, if I can remember the colours, green strip, red strip, tiny. You try it. Okay? What's the other one? What are the primary colours? Red, green, blue? Blue strip. Makes no sense. But go and sit on the sofa. Wow. God. Here's a here's verse. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things in your life, says Paul to the Christian, okay? In all things, God works for the good of those who love him. To those who have been called according to his purpose. There is no thread in your life that's astray. That gives real confidence to, to exist, doesn't it? That there's no thread in my life, however painful, that's astray. That God, that's a snip off because he, because he can't do something with that. There aren't any of those threads. Every thread ultimately contributes to the final masterpiece. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. Let me show you a video that puts all this together. I want you to watch this video. And you'll get a picture of something of what we're talking about. How it only really makes sense when God finishes what he's doing. Thank you, Nick.
Hey, that's your life. You are a masterpiece that God is working on. It doesn't make sense because he hasn't finished what he's doing. He hasn't turned the portrait of your life the right way around yet. And when he does, it'll be the most beautiful, unimaginably wonderful thing ever. You see, your life has never been pointless. It's never been a failure. It's always had a purpose, a magnificent, beautiful purpose. And one day, that picture that God is painting with you, that masterpiece that he's working on, will be turned so that you can see, perhaps in life, God's masterpieces aren't always the final thing. Sometimes God, we see some of that, we enter into some of that, experience some of that in life. Some of those pieces in your life will come together and you'll experience or see your being what God is doing with you, Christian. Believe it. Can I ask you to do that? Can I leave you with that? Can we do that? Can that be our aim as we move forward? That we believe Jesus. That we believe in him. That we trust him. That he's doing something wonderful, beautiful in my life. That is coming together. And he will complete it. You see, Salmon was the father of Boaz. Boaz was the father of Obed, who became the father of Jesse, the father of David, and eventually unto Jesus. And so from tragedy and loss and poverty and humiliation and compassion and romance and ingenuity, God accomplishing his plan of salvation from the world. And that same God is doing in micro in you what he has been doing in macro in the world. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't stop believing. Amen.